and welcome to Shining on the Spectrum. I'm your host, Quiana, and my daughter Ava was diagnosed with autism at two. Over the last six years, my mission has been to ensure she gets the love and support she needs so she can shine on the spectrum. Each episode, I'll be sharing insight into our six-year journey, and hopefully our experience will help you ensure your child shines as well. Now let's get started. Hey there, and welcome to episode six of the Shining on the Spectrum podcast. I'm Quiana Darden, your host, and today we're talking about behavior. Um, When you are raising a child who has autism, it's common. First of all, let me take a step back. When you are raising a child, period, it's common for them to exhibit behaviors that you do not think um, are good behaviors, that are not things that you want to see them do or how you want to see them act. Um, I was an elementary school teacher for six and a half years. I saw tons of behaviors from children who had no special needs and children who had special needs, kids who had autism, ADHD, kids who completely understood and knew to behave exactly how they were supposed to, but just did not. Um, And so I'm I'm making that little, little, adding that little caveat in there. But since we are specifically talking about raising a child with autism, That is something that we see in the autistic community um, when we are raising our kiddos. And I have found through personal research, personal um, experience with my own daughter, who's now eight, um, spending a lot of time talking to her ABA therapist and the ABA therapist therapist and the BCBA, um, enrolling in... ABA, kind of like quote unquote ABA at home type programs, reading ABA behavior type books. Um, I've learned a lot about behavior and it is an area that really, really interests me. So today I want to talk about five behavior strategies or really four behavior strategies and more of a mindset shift that's really important and really helpful when you're raising a child with autism. So we're just going to jump right into it. Um, I'm going to be sharing the strategy and then I'm going to be giving you examples based off of my real life with my eight-year-old daughter. All right, let's get into it. Number one is give choice. Um, I think that when you give a lot, most children, a lot of children do not like being told what to do. A lot of adults do not like being told what to do. So if you are in a situation with your child and you want them to do something, instead of saying, now I'm going to go back because sometimes there will be times when you're just telling them you need to do this right now and just do it. There's no explanation. There's no whatever. You just need to do it. But a lot of the time, there is that opportunity to give them choice. So for example, in the mornings, mornings are not always easy um, because who wants to like get up and get going and have to do all these things? You'd rather just kind of lounge in bed and relax or whatever, you know, right? So that's my daughter. When I have to get her up, get her ready for school, therapy, all that good stuff, she's not always in a mode where she really wants to get going. So I found that giving her choice helps a ton and helps to cut back on any pushback that she may have normally given me if I just told her, Ava, go do this, do that, do that, do that. Instead, I may, she has a a chart in her room with her morning routine, brush your teeth, wash your face, take your vitamins, change your clothes, all of the steps of her morning routine. And so I'll say, Ava, what do you want to do first? She'll go over there and she'll look in her chart and she'll say, take my vitamins. And it's easy peasy. Um, Another option I may say is, Ava, do you want to wash your face or brush your teeth first? And then she'll pick the thing that she would prefer to do. And it's a lot easier than because she feels like she's able to have some control over what's going on in her life as opposed to just being told, this is what you have to do right now and do it. Because really nobody likes being told what to do. 
So if we take that, um, that mindset and we give our children a choice, it can help a lot with that pushback because they got to decide what they're going to do. I also, when I homeschooled Ava, and even when I work with her at home on now, now that she's in public school, I'm not homeschooling her anymore, but I still work with her on um, tons of her skills at home. Instead of saying, Ava, we have to do this, then we have to do that, then we have to do this. I'll say, Ava, do you want to do reading or math first? When she has to, when she has to play her little games on the computer for school, um, like the little programs they want you to do 15 minutes a day or whatever. I'm like, Ava, do you want to do reading or math first? Um, do you want to work on audition, on your audition game, or your this game? Those little choices throughout the day make a huge difference because they feel like they have some control. And you want kids to have control. You don't want to dictate everything to them. And I think also when you give kids choice, it allows them the ability to think for themselves. Think about their preferences. Think about the things they like or don't like, the things that they want to do or don't want to do. That is huge in my household. Number two is first then. The concept of first then. First we do this, then we do that. First we do this, then we do that. There are a bunch of different ways that you can have first then. One, you can just talk about first then in conversation. Literally say, okay, I understand that you want to um, do X, Y, Z. I understand that you want to go uh, play your video game. First, you have to clean your room. Then you can play your video game. First, you have to do this. Then you have to do that. So you can write it verbally or maybe, excuse me, you can say it verbally. You can write it down visually or you can have um, some type of a picture. So I'm going to give you a specific example. So sometimes at night, my daughter does not want to go into her room. She wants to continue to hang out with us. Um, she wants to stay in, in our room or on the couch or whatever the case may be. And there would be pushback when I would say, Ava, okay, now it's time for you to go in your room. Really easy change that I've made is using first then. Um, so first, you can stay in my room for five minutes. Then you're going to go in your room. I would set the timer on my phone. And when she hears that timer, she knows she can go. That She knows that it's time to go. And I don't get the pushback. Because we have, first you can stay in my room for five minutes, then you have to go in your room. First you can watch five more minutes of the movie that we're watching on the couch with us, and then you have to go into your room. That first then, it kind of allows her to prepare and move on to what it is that she's supposed to be doing. Okay? Another example of this is, oh, actually I did not have another example of that. Um, so, they use first then. First then, I actually did not start using it until she enrolled in ABA therapy with the newest company, so like in November of 2021. They really introduced that concept of first then. And now it's something that she uses both in school and in therapy. At school and therapy, they use visual, um, like um, they write things down for her or they use visuals, um, like visual pictures. For me at home, it's easy enough to just do it verbally, but it depends on your child's level of understanding and all of that good stuff. You just have to decide what's going to work best for your kiddo and your household. Um, but first then is really, really, really helpful for me. And oh, here's another example of doing first then. Um, so, and this is something that I hear in ABA therapy when they do have therapy at home. So Ava may say, I want um, a hug. So one of the things that she does, she relies a lot of the, on physical touch to make her feel better, like to calm her down and stuff like that. And so she just loves physical touch hugs and all that kind of stuff. So she may say in the middle of her session with her therapist, I want a hug. Well, we want her to continue her activity. So then the first then is first, we're going to continue your work for three more minutes, then you get a hug. First, we do work, then you get a hug. Write it down on the board. First, work, then hug. Once we do the work, we check that off. Then what can you do? You get a hug. And so there's that visual that she's going to get what she wants within just a few minutes or, you know, however long it is. 
Um, but that is another way to help them know that they're going to get the thing that they want, but they just need to wait until they do something else first. Um, so that was number one was give choice. Number two was implement first then. Number three is to ignore negative behavior. Um, so obviously you cannot ignore all negative behavior. Um, if it's something where they are uh, causing harm to, the, to themselves, causing harm to other, others, being destructive, anything dangerous, those types of behaviors you do not want to ignore typically. Um, but if we're talking about some smaller behaviors, it is okay to ignore them sometimes and prompt a better behavior. So for example, uh, while my daughter is a lot more vocal than she used to be, she still will resort to some of her more whining um, and nonverbal ways of communicating to get what she wants. So if she wants to go into the kitchen or something, she may sometimes try to come pull me. Or she may say, mom, let's go to the kitchen, but then she'll just point at the cabinet instead of telling me what she wants. Um, and so, for example, if I don't respond to that, you know, she may start whining or whatever, whatever it is that I don't want her to be doing, I will ignore. So, for example, if she's pointing at the cabinet instead of using her words, then I will say to her, um, do you want something or what do you want? And I'm prompting her to verbally tell me what it is that she wants. Now, if your child is not verbal, then you're, it may be using a PEC system. It may be using their assistive um, communication device. Um, or if your goal is for them to just point, that may be, you know, something that you actually do want them to do, but maybe they're doing something else and they're trying to let you know that they want it, but they're not doing the pointing. So whatever it is, if they're a step behind, what if they're not displaying the behavior that you want them to, to display, ignore the behavior that you don't want to see and then prompt them to do the behavior that you do want to see them do in some way by asking, do you want something? Is there something you need? Like, asking some type of question, pointing to their, their communication device or to their PEC system or whatever, but ignoring that behavior because what you want them to learn is that that behavior, the whining or the pointing or the whatever the case may be, is not going to get them what they want. And when they learn that consistently, that behavior does not get them what they want, they'll learn that it's easier for them to just um, do the behavior that they're expected to do first because they get what they want quicker. And I think that was a big thing for my daughter. Um, when she learned that the whining or the not using her words and those types of things was not going to get her what she wanted, was not going to get her what she needed, she learned that it's easier for me to just communicate the way that I'm supposed to um, or, you know, communicate in a way that I've learned because I've moved to this next level of communication. And now that is the bar. That is the expectation. That is the standard. So I'm going to stop slipping back three, four, five, you know, steps lower and I'm going to start going right to that step or maybe a step below instead of going so much further back because that's what felt easier or more comfortable for her. So it was just constantly setting that expectation, ignoring the behavior that um, I did not want to see and prompting her to do the things that I did want her to do. Number four is understanding why your child is exhibiting the behavior. Behaviors come from so many different places. So let's take the idea of someone of a child throwing a tantrum. You would approach it different ways if they are exhibiting the behavior for different reasons. So for example, if my daughter's throwing a tantrum because she's mad, mad because I told her she had to get off her, I don't know, mad because I told her she had to, um, she couldn't get a toy at the store. And so now she throws a tantrum, which is not something that she typically does. She's not a big tantrum thrower. But let's say she throws a little tantrum at the store because she couldn't get the toy that she wanted. Well, my response in that situation 
is to teach, is to provide her with a prompt her to use a coping mechanism. Ava, what are the ways that we calm down when we are so first of all, it's identifying the 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 feeling behind it or the reason behind it. That's really powerful because quite often children with autism have difficulty expressing their emotions, understanding emotions, those kind of things. So if you can help them to label their emotion based on what they're feeling and the reason why they're doing something, it can be really helpful. So if she's upset because she could get could not get a toy, we can talk about the fact that she is mad. That's the emotion she's feeling, or she's upset, however you want to label it. And then we're going to talk about what coping mechanisms we have in place. For my daughter, her coping mechanisms are to breathe, squeeze her hands together because she likes pressure, ask to squeeze somebody else's hand, or ask for a hug. Those are some of the coping mechanisms that she might use that are always available to her. Um, sometimes if she has other items of um, that she can use, it may be using a squeeze toy, it may be going to jump on a trampoline, it may be, um, you know, jumping up and down uh, just to get some of her energy out, like doing jumping jacks or just jumping in place. Um, so there are different things that we have in place that are coping mechanisms for when she does get upset. So my prompt to her if we were at a grocery store might be, okay, I understand you feel mad, blah, blah, blah. Let's go ahead and what do you want to do? Do you want to breathe? Do you want to this or do you want to that? Because again, she's already in a heightened state. It's easier if I give her a choice about what she can choose to do to calm herself down instead of telling her, Ava, be quiet. Do not do this. Blah, blah, blah. You need to do that. So I'm like, Ava, I understand you're upset. Like I may, you know, I'll let her know that this is not appropriate, but then I'll give her an, a, a, a choice. You can do this or do this to calm yourself down. And a lot of the times that will help. And it, it did not always help. Initially, we had to keep practicing and working and working and working until she learned that this is how we respond. This is how we calm ourselves down. These are our options when we get upset, that type of thing. But Here's another example. Let's say she's tired. It's really funny, actually, or I think it was funny. Um, spring break was this week or last week, depending on how you look at it. It's Saturday right now. So spring break was Monday to Friday. And um, I was like, okay, it's spring break. You don't have school. Um, I'm going to let you stay up late each night because you don't have therapy until later in the day every day. Guess what? That did not work for her because she became the whiniest little kid because um, she was tired. And I recognized that on the second day. And so instead of like coming down on her because she's whining or whatever, my thing was to say, we were going to talk about the fact that you're tired. This is how it feels when you're sleepy. Okay. You're staying up later than you normally do. You are tired. So guess what we're going to do? Go to sleep. So on that second night, she was just acting out. And instead of making it a big deal, we talked about the fact that she was tired. My boyfriend went and put her, uh, tucked her in the bed in her room, closed the door, blah, blah, blah. She was out for the night, did not hear another word from her until the next morning. So that was a different way to communicate with her when I realized that the reason why she was acting like that was because she was tired. And I just needed to get her in a place where she could go to sleep. Um, let's say she was uh, acting up just because she wanted attention. She was throwing a tantrum because she wanted attention. That's going to be ignored. Um, because you're not going to get attention from me by behaving inappropriately. If children learn, and this is so common, and it's something that I learned actually when I was as a classroom teacher, children will act out to get behavior. One thing that's common in the classroom is the kids who act out, who act up, get more, um, they get more attention than the kids who are doing what they're supposed to do. So sometimes just to get attention, because they're craving attention, they will do something inappropriately because they want you to talk to them. They want you to pay attention to them. They want you to see them. 
They want you to be, you know, in their face. They want that attention from you. So even if it means doing something they're not supposed to do, they will do it because if they're doing what they're supposed to do, maybe you don't give them as much attention. So what you want to teach them is that that behavior, that negative behavior is not going to get you the attention that you want. So if she were acting up and I knew that it was because she wanted attention, well, then guess what? I'm just not giving you any attention. I'm going to redirect your behavior because I'm not just going to sit there and allow you to act. Well, it depends on where we are and it depends on what's going on, depending on what you're doing. But for the most part, I'm not going to just sit there and allow you to act however you want to act. I'm going to redirect your attention, but I'm not going to sit there and talk to you a lot and, you know, make it this big thing where you're getting all this attention that you want. No, it's going to be straight to the point. Go do this. And then I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you be. And then once you can show me that you're making better choices, then I will give you the attention that you want. And so I'm giving you the attention when you're doing things positive, not when you're doing things that are negative. And this may be a situation where you give them a first then. First, you need to calm down. Then you get this. First, you need to this, then you, then you, then you get this. Um, so that may be something where you give them a first then. It may be something where you give them a choice. How do you want to calm down? Do you want to do this or do you want to do this? And see if it'll help. And then once they calm down, once they're then exhibiting positive behaviors, then you give them the attention that they're looking for. Um, another one may be because they're sad. So sometimes I know when my daughter um, has to leave my mom's house, she loves spending time with my mom. She'll go over there for the weekend or the night or whatever. And um, sometimes she will go, like my mom will drop her off right before her therapy. And um, then my daughter is a little like upset. She's a little, she, she's sad. That's not a time when I'm going to come down on her like, oh my gosh, Ava, stop. It's a time when we are going to talk about her emotions, how she's feeling. And then we're going to try to come up with a coping mechanism to make her feel better when she is sad. So if you're feeling sad, okay, here's your stuffed animal that you can hold and hug. Or I may give her a first then. First, we're going to do whatever it is. And then, then you can you can call FaceTime grandma after therapy. So I give her these different options and it oftentimes will make her feel better. Um, another one may be from frustration. So I know that sometimes the top reason that I see frustration in my daughter or any type of like adverse behavior is when she is frustrated. And it's typically around something related to schoolwork. She gets some level of anxiety when it's something that she does not know how to do um, or if she feels like she's going to get it wrong. So, for example, having to spell words is something that frustrates her. And first of all, always acknowledge the fact that she's already, again, in a heightened state. This is not my time to then be frustrated with her while she's already frustrated. So first of all, I have to check my own feelings at the door. I have to check my own tone. I have to check my own everything because taking fire... And putting, putting fire together is not going to help the situation. It's not going to help to diffuse it when there's fire and fire and we're adding them together. I can't have fire. I have to make sure that I'm cool, calm, and collected when I'm going in a situation where she's already frustrated. So I try to think about how it is when you're frustrated. When I'm frustrated, I don't want someone coming at me because it's just going to make me feel worse. So I'm always very calm when I'm talking to her when she's frustrated. And I always try to acknowledge the fact that she is frustrated. I understand that you're frustrated. I understand that this is challenging for you or this is tough for you or whatever the case may be. But you can't act like this just because you're frustrated. So again, I'm going to redirect you to a, a better coping mechanism. What's something that you can do to make yourself feel better? So I'm going to give her a choice. Do you want to breathe or do you want to jump up and down? Blah, blah, blah. 
Okay, well, first, I'm going to give you five minutes to get yourself together, and then we're going to continue your activity. And something that simple, giving them a choice of something that they can do to calm themselves down, and then giving them a first then, a first, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. Oftentimes, once they learn this strategy is enough to bring them down. Now, I'm giving a lot of suggestions based on what I do with my daughter, based on what I've done with my students in the classroom, based on what I've done with both special needs and non-special needs kids in the classroom, kids with autism, kids with ADHD, different developmental delays, all, all of these different things, um, emotional, I don't know, it seems like emotional something, ED, emotional disturbance, I think is what it's called. Um, but obviously, you have to determine what is going to be the best strategy for your child, um, the best coping mechanisms for your child. But I think there's a lot of power in using these strategies kind of together. Like, I keep going back to the first in and to the giving choice and those types of things. Um, like even when I was giving the examples about understanding why behavior is occurring. So all behavior does not happen for the same reason. Um, I think that's like an ABA uh, belief. And I can't think about what it is. It's like, what is the antecedent? What is the reason behind the behavior in the first place? You always want to try to understand that. And oftentimes you'll understand that there's a pattern for your child. Your partner is seeking, your child is seeking behavior, trying to get out of activities. Like, what is the thing that is causing the adverse behavior? And then once you realize what is, where it's coming from and why it's happening, you can then develop a better, more strategic plan to support them. All right. And number five, the last one, it's kind of a strategy. It's kind of a mindset related to behavior. And that is to have high expectations. I think that the one thing that is unfortunate about beliefs related to the autistic community and raising a child with autism is almost as though you should come to expect that your child is going to have all of these negative behaviors, all of these negative things, and almost like there's nothing you can do about it. Like sometimes going to some of these parent support groups and they're being told by their doctors, well, your child destroyed five TVs, that's normal, that's just something that you should expect. Your child slaps you in the face. Well, that's normal. They have autism. That's just something you should expect. I'm not saying that there are not some situations where behavior is more extreme. But I am saying that um, it's more extreme and more challenging to control. But I am saying that that is not the case for everybody. And if we tell all parents of children with autism that you should expect your child to be aggressive, abusive, destructive, just because they have autism, it's really not owning up to the fact that autism is a spectrum. You can't on one end tell me that autism is a spectrum and we see all of these different behaviors and we have all these different levels and we have all these different strengths and weaknesses for a child who has autism. And then on the other end say, well, you should just come to expect that your child is going to um, throw tantrums, be abusive, destroy things in your house, um, be physical with other people, blah, blah, blah. That does not make sense. It can't be both. And I think that too often autism is used as an excuse for why children are doing certain things and why we should have low expectations for our kids. I had one child, I think I was teaching third grade at, um, well, I'm not gonna tell you where, but <laughs> I was teaching third grade and I was, a co it was a, I was a collab teacher. So Pretty much all the kids who had special needs were in my classroom, and there was also a special education teacher who spent a lot of time in there. And there was one little boy who had autism. And when before he came into my class, I was told he is mean. He is, I mean, I'm just gonna say it. He's mean. He's uh, physical all the time. He doesn't listen to anybody. 
it was just all the negative things that you could say about a child. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let's see how it goes. And after working with him and setting expectations for him and honestly holding him to a high standard, a very high standard, I didn't have those behaviors with him in my classroom. He was not physical with other people. He was not, you know, he was very direct. <laughs> he was very direct, which come off as rude, but he was not physical with other people. He was not being mean to other people. He was not being disrespectful other than, you know, when he was very direct, but that wasn't him trying to be disrespectful. He was able to operate in that classroom and do just fine, despite all the negative things that people told me about him. And I believe that a huge part of that was that I set high expectations for him, just like I set high expectations for every other student in my classroom. And I expected for him to figure it out. Now, I've provided tons of support along with the special education teacher for him, all types of behavior charts and rewards and all types of things that I was doing to try to motivate him to want to make good choices. But he was able to do it with the right level of support. And I think we only had like one incident in the class, in that classroom the entire school year where he did get into it with another kid over something. Um, but other than that, we had a really great year. And that is, I think a huge part is the high expectations. I do believe that if, with my daughter, if I, had, if I had listened to everyone who said, well, she's going to act like this, she's going to act like this, she's going to act like this, this is what you should expect, her behavior would probably be 10 times worse than it is now. I didn't believe that. And I never had that mindset that I should expect her to be destroying my house, being unable to um, do certain things in the community, all that kind of stuff. I set really high expectations from day one. And we were able to now get her to where she is today. Now, again, we're not perfect. She's not perfect. Kids in general are not perfect. So I'm not saying that we never have behavior issues. But I will say that I believe having high expectations for her, just like I had high expectations for that third grader who had autism in my classroom has helped. So I say shoot for the stars. And what was the saying? Shoot for the stars. And if you miss your land amongst the clouds or something like that, shoot for the stars, have really high expectations for your kids. And if they don't quite hit those expectations, they may land a little lower, but at least you shot high. Like don't shoot for the ceiling of a one floor house so they can land on the kitchen floor. That kind of sucks for them because you didn't believe that they could do more or be more or experience more or have more for their lives. So I say believe in them, have high expectations, and that helps a ton. So all this is helpful. This is just kind of like some of the things that I use personally that I've tried when I was actually in the classroom as a teacher um, that I learned from just researching therapy and ABA and all that kind of stuff. And it has helped with my daughter a ton. Um, if you have any questions about any of this, please feel free to shoot me an email, spectrum at gmail.com. Also, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I'm Quiana Adarn on Instagram. And send me a DM. Let me know any other topics you'd like for me to address on the podcast. And I will be talking to y'all next week. Take care.